I would love for you to take your Bible with me and turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, where we will be for some time now. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew today, we're in the 13th chapter in a very familiar parable. Uh, the text for today gives us the parable, but then also gives us Jesus' later explanation of the parable to the disciples. And so we skip a few verses, but today we are in chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. As you turn there, I'd invite you, if you're able, to stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. That day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the lake. Such large, crowd, large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep, but when the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Now, verse 18. Consider then the parable of the farmer. Whenever people hear the word about the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and carries off what was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that was sown on the path. As for the seed that was spread on rocky ground, this refers to people who hear the word and immediately receive it joyfully. Because they have no roots, they last only for a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. As for the seed that was spread among thorny plants, this refers to those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the false appeal of wealth choke the word and it bears no fruit. As for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce, in one case a yield of 100 to 1, in another case a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as we have been looking at Matthew together, just a little bit of a quiz for you this morning, both uh, online and here in person. Uh, this is a pop quiz uh, today. So in Matthew, there are, there are how many major sections of teaching in Matthew? No. I had a thumb up there. Five. Thank you, honey. Uh, Debbie passed today. There are five major sections of teaching. Some scholars, again, think that uh, Matthew is doing that because Matthew is retelling the life of Jesus through the story of Israel and includes five major sections of teaching to kind of mirror uh, the five books of the law uh, or the Torah. We've looked at, we didn't get a chance to look at the first one, but the first major block of teaching is Matthew 5 through 7. This is also on the quiz today. Matthew 5 through 7, that block of teaching we usually call the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, very familiar, hopefully, with those passages of Scripture. In 8 and 9, we get nine miracles, stories, the kingdom of God is breaking out. And then in chapter 10, we get a text that we looked at a few weeks ago. Um, chapter 10 is what's called the missionary sermon or the mission discourse. As Jesus sends the disciples into the world, this is what's going to happen. And some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be bad. And then it ends with a few verses that we looked at a couple weeks ago, an invitation for us not only to enter the mission, but to be hospitable to those prophets and those righteous who are part of that mission, to open the door and to be hospitable to that mission. 
We only got uh, one week in, in one text from chapters 11 and 12, which tells several stories of the way Jesus is both received and not received. So the crowds receive him, uh, the Pharisees reject him, and then there are a few folks like his family or John the Baptist who go, hmm, okay, um, we're not quite sure what to do with you. Are you the one who's supposed to come or are we to wait for another? So we get these stories of various responses to Jesus. But now the third major block of teaching will get three weeks in chapter 13. And they are a set of parables that basically say, this is how people respond to Jesus. So now let's think about that in parable form. You with me? And so this morning, I want us to think about chapter 13 um, and to think about this amazing parable and one of the things that, that we're going to recognize as we go through various parables in Matthew is that many of them are agrarian in nature. They tell stories about farming. They tell stories about fields. They are, they're earthy. Um, they're agrarian in nature. Now, this may just simply be because Jesus is speaking to first century folks, the majority of whom had some kind of occupation or job that was related to the land. But it's also helpful that in the kingdom of God, and we'll notice this, especially in this parable, the kingdom of God does not come, for example, Jesus could say, the kingdom of God is like a warrior who comes and conquers and establishes their kingdom. That's not really the way the kingdom comes. And so it's interesting in agrarian, if you will, kind of rhythms of life, the ways the kingdom matches that rhythm. So Jesus comes and is planting the seed of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come, and the seed of the word of God is being distributed in the word in the world. But as, as farmers know, there's a kind of rhythm to that. You plant the seed in the ground in hope and expectation and faith that it will produce. But now that it is planted, there is this whole season of patience and care as that seed comes to fruition and growth, but then ultimately there is party, there's harvest time. And we have the harvest. And so the kingdom of God in these parables has a kind of agrarian rhythm. The kingdom of God is here, and it's not as though it's not here, but it is still growing in our midst. We will hear this in parable after parable. It is emerging in our midst. And it is moving towards that culmination, but we are both in a time of faith, believing that seed will come to fruit, but we are also in a time of patience as that kingdom comes to its full fruition. Are you with me? So I want to think this morning about this parable and think about it in the ways that we, um, that we see it both oftentimes from what I'll call kind of a negative or maybe a, a, a perspective of judgment and fail to see the side of hope that this parable brings. So let me talk about uh, judgment or the kind of negative ways, if you will, that we read this parable. And I don't, when I say negative, I don't mean as a bad way to read it. I just mean we hear this parable as a warning to us. One way we hear this parable, especially coming out of the missionary sermon and discourse, is it's a warning to all of us who join the farmer in planting seed in the world to say, um, be patient. Uh, Whenever I read the missionary discourse, I want to summarize it this way. Jesus says to all of us who are participants in this mission, um, they persecuted the prophets, they crucified me, don't be surprised if you get some bad email, right? Like, uh, like it's not always going to go well. It is, and it is not necessarily because you're not proclaiming or distributing the word in the world. It is that 
the word can only respond and grow in as much as the soil embraces it. And so as you go into the world, there will be hard, difficult paths. There will be uh, shallow soil where people spring up. There will be rocky soil and there will be good soil. More often than not, even reading commentaries, we look at this sermon, th- this parable, and we think about it in the light of how we are to respond. And we hear it a war- as a warning to not be bad soil. And, and I don't think that's illegitimate. Uh, I, I do, uh, in ministry, think that there are people for whom, as, you, as the Word of God tries to break in, and some of you have been there, life has been so difficult, challenging, I'd even use the word abusive, where people like on a road or path have walked on you. And there is a compactness of your heart and life that has happened. Some of you, um, by God's grace, have opened your home and life uh, to young people, children, or others who have been through very difficult circumstances where it is very hard And the challenge that you've taken on is how hard it is for love and grace and blessing to break in because so much hurt has been there. And it shouldn't surprise us then that there are folks and moments and even maybe some some seasons in our own lives where we we have been so hardened that it is difficult for the word and grace and new creation of God to break into our lives. And we hear this parable as a warning there. We hear the parable as a warning um, that sometimes, uh, I'm getting better at this, but uh, at one point I thought the title of my autobiography should be Great Starter, Bad Finisher. Um, that there are moments where we get super excited about stuff, right? Like this, oh, uh, my garage is just a, a menagerie of things that we thought were great ideas at the start. And we may get back to, so we can't get rid of them. But we, but... But some of us, the warning is we start well, but, but we don't allow enough roots to get deep down into us that when difficult times come, we, we fade away. And I think if some of you were to stand up here and we were to give you a microphone and you were to rehearse your spiritual biography with us, it would be this. It would be starts and stops. It would be moments of yes mixed with moments of I don't know, some of the captions were going, I don't know how the captions just translated, but um, good luck. Um, Some of us know and have been in places where we feel like we're that rocky soil, where growth happens, but then it gets choked out. I I was having a conversation with an older pastor not long ago, and we were both kind of moaning and whining, but mostly him, about um, my generation on down. And this person was saying, you know, I just miss the days where we were at church all the time, right? Where people just were involved and active. And, and you know, he and I were both laughing at, at one point in our family histories. We literally lived in the church. Um, and that, you know, these days it's so hard and the inconsistency of practices and that kind of stuff. And, and uh, this person said to me, the, the problem today is these kids just aren't committed like they used to be. And I looked at them and said, um, all apologies, but I just want to disagree with you. I'm not sure your generation was any more spiritual than this generation. The problem is that they, is not that they lack commitment. The problem is that they have way too many commitments. Uh, and again, in reading the history of the church, 
you know, I read all these moments where there were like weeks-long revivals that went on and camp meetings that just extended for a month at a time. I thought that could not happen today, and not because we're not spiritual, but because we have to be somewhere. This is an incredibly busy era where we have filled our lives with all sorts of things, some good, not, some not so good, but but the challenge is we hear this text as a warning to not allow all of the stuff that can take up space in the soil of our lives to, to choke out what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And it is this call then for us to be the good soil that receives the kingdom. And so I, I think we hear that at some level, but I want us to think about the ways in which this parable is not just a warning for us to be good soil, but perhaps even more so, is an invitation for us to hope. An invitation for us to lean into and live in expectation for what God is doing and will do in our lives and in the world. Before I get there, I just want to remind you that as Jesus gathers these crowds around, sometimes, again, when we hear this parable, our imaginations are such that um, we don't do this very much anymore. Um, Some other religious traditions do, but it wasn't long ago that that our basic form of evangelism was to send people out into neighborhoods with tracks and to go door, by, door to door, right? Um, and, and he would knock on a door and say, you know, some, some witty line to get them to try to talk about faith or invite them to have conversations about faith. And we would kind of, in that imagination, then we think of this parable as hard soil being those people who are unwilling to receive Christ, the shallow soil as those people who receive Christ quickly, they show up for a few months, but then they disappear. Or those who are the rocky soil, they're here some, but man, they're really busy. And the good soil is people who are here every Sunday. God bless you. Um, and, and we frame our imagination as though what, what Jesus is talking about here is people who have accepted or not accepted Christ. And I want to say, everybody on the shore when Jesus was teaching this parable, we would use the term believer to describe them. That when he is talking about receiving the word, he's not talking about are we going to accept Christ or not. He is inviting them to see himself as the fulfillment and the establishment of this kingdom. Everything you've been waiting for. This new creation, remember, Matthew is telling the story through Abraham. And when we look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see all of this brokenness, rejection of God distrust of each other, violence, brokenness, Tower of Babel, all the world divided. And Matthew is saying, the promise that God made to Abraham that he would renew the whole world is happening in Jesus. Now that was supposed to happen through Israel and David, but that kind of fell apart. But now Christ is the new David, Matthew is telling us, who's going to establish a people and they will be the embodiment of this new creation led by their Lord and King Jesus. And the exile that has happened, that has distorted us from each other, has distanced us from God and God's purposes. Jesus is bringing all of that together. And so all of these people on the shore, they're, they're church folk. And so this parable is not so much how Jesus came to save pagans. It is about how Jesus came to save Christians. And so he says to all of us on the shore today, will you be good soil for the renewal of all things? Will you be the, res- the soil to receive the new creation, the remaking of all of the world, or will you not? But the beauty is that Jesus says, as this word goes out, 
there is going to be an explosion of this new creation in our midst. So if you have your Bible still open, I got to get you excited. Verse 8. Jesus says, other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In, other, in another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Now, because most of us are not agrarian and have no idea what that's about, we pass through that verse as though, oh, that's kind of cool, and move on. Most scholars say that is the saying in the parable where the first hearers would have gone, that their heads would have exploded, their eyes would have done the wooga, wooga thing, right? Like this is the verse that says, what? So, so let me explain to you why it would be such a, ah! Most scholars argue that in the first century world where people were agrarian, first of all, they were not landowners. They were tenant farmers. Sometimes when I talk about my dad's grandparents, my great-grandfather and grandmother, I will say they were ranchers in Nebraska. That's actually kind of a, it's not a lie, it's just kind of an exaggeration. They owned nothing. They were tenant ranchers. Someone else owned the ranch. When they moved here, my great-grandfather worked at the sugar beet factory. They owned nothing. But they were tenant farmers. And when you're a tenant farmer, then here's what you have to do. You have to convince somebody, first of all, to let you work their land. And then you have to go buy the seed to plant to work that land. So let me put it into kind of modern money, if you will. If a one return on the harvest, let's make that $10,000. So every return on the harvest is another $10,000. It would probably cost about a share to go and buy the seed. So you go to the person who has the seed and say, and say here's what's going to happen. I'm going to plant this, and when we get it, I'm going to give you one return of the harvest. So you're going to get your money back. To the one who owns the land, I'm going to offer three shares of the harvest. Are you with me? So it's going to cost me ten grand for the seed. It's going to cost me 30000 to lease the land. And so here's the deal. We have got to get at least a fourfold return on this harvest. Yes? Because if we don't, we're in trouble. I heard one time when you ask a farmer, a farmer will never say it was a good year. They'll only say it wasn't a bad year. Because on a bad year, especially in the ancient world, we have tried to find ways where we're not controlled by droughts. So we have irrigation systems, and so we've managed that. Although there are times when we realize there's not, there are things we can't control. So I don't know if you've noticed, cherries are really expensive right now because it's not a good year for cherries. We had a late frost and killed a bunch of the cherries. And if you have a bad year, now you're in debt for everything you borrowed for this year. So next year has got to be super good if you can get anybody to even loan you stuff. But scholars say a good harvest would be about six or seven fold because that would mean you could pay off the seed, you could pay off the landowner, and then you'd have, in our kind of language, about $20,000 left to kind of make it. And you could make it to next year if you got a six-fold or seven-fold. Are you with me? Jesus says there's good soil, and it will bring a 30-fold. What? 30-fold. We can pay off the seed, Brent. We can pay off the landowner. And now we've got like $24,000, $25,000 to work with. The kids get to go to school. Yay! 
Maybe we can buy our own home. Maybe we can put a down payment on land that we can now own. 60-fold, oh, we're buying land. We're getting a mule with racing stripes. <laughs> it has changed. A hundredfold, million bucks, bing, 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 lotto, baby. Woo, make it rain. We're out of here. We're leaving the agrarian life behind. We're moving to the city. It's over. You see, what Jesus is inviting us to see is when the word finds good soil, it's not just a nice thing that happens. Transformation of all things, it all gets turned upside down. And the hope is that as the word of God is invested in us, we won't just have a few moments in life, but we will have lives that have been turned upside down and participate in a world that gets turned upside down where all things are made new, where the curse and brokenness from Genesis 1 through 11, now God heals as he promised through Abraham and forms a people who are now led by Jesus and the exile is over. Oh, that was good. So it's an invitation to lean into this abundance of harvest. But Jesus, and interestingly, in last thought, verse 18, Jesus says, consider then the parable of the farmer. You, you should underline that in some ways because it's just kind of interesting. I think this is the only time or one of the, at least one of the only times where Jesus goes ahead and names what we should call the parable. We've talked about this in the past. What you call a parable is important because often what you call the parable will form how you interpret the parable. So for example, probably the classic example is we usually think of the parable in Luke, that famous parable we call the parable of the prodigal son. And because it's the parable of the prodigal son, we usually tell the parable as though it's a parable solely about the grace that is extended to the son who has wasted all of life. Now it is that, but when you read the parable in its context, it probably should more likely be named the parable of the older brother because it's really about the older brother. It's told in a context of Pharisees who don't want the younger brother to come home. And naming it something different shapes our reading of it. Jesus just says, by the way, this parable that we tend to read as the parable of the soils, Jesus just says, this is the parable of the farmer. Which invites us to think about the parable in strange ways. Because he is not a very efficient farmer. The farmer goes out to sow seed. Some falls on the path. Some falls in shallow soil. Some in rocky soil. And some in good soil. What a dumb way to farm. If seed, especially for those who are tenant farmers, is so precious and costs so much and has put us into debt, and we better hope it produces, what you need to do first is go find good soil and plant it there and leave the other soils out. I started writing a different sermon this week, and I, I threw it in the trash because I was nervous about it. What I thought I would do this week is get up and I would start the sermon by talking about the growth in this area and the, kinds, and, and the studies of what kinds of populations are moving into the area. And then studies that talk about receptivity to the gospel and what generations and ages are most receptive to the gospel. And what 
And then what ministries or what opportunities actually work most with those who are most receptive to the gospel. And I was going to talk about that in ways to say, because it's really important because we have limited resources that in these next years, we get really focused on the groups that are going to be most beneficial to our life as a church. And so I was going to go for several minutes about how we have really got to focus, especially on young and young families that are moving to this area. That means we're going to have to change everything, and we're going to have to defund certain ministries and fund other ministries. It means studies show that young, old people will receive the leadership of young people, but young people will not receive the ministry of old people. So I was going to say, this is probably one of the last summers where we'll have people over the age of 40 on the platform, including me. I was going to tell you, this was going to be my last year kind of preaching regularly because I'm about to be 55. And studies show young people don't listen to you once you're over that age. It's time for me to get into administration and let somebody else draw the next generation in. Now, I was going to say all that, and the reason I didn't preach that sermon is because I knew a bunch of people who were online. Well, not only that, I knew some of you would be here and you'd stop listening about halfway through. But I was worried about people who'd be online and listen to that part and not get to the twist. And then log off and start saying, oh, my word, college church is losing their minds, right? But I was reading, I've been reading this French philosopher, a guy named Jacques Ellul, who says, in our world today, we're obsessed with what he calls technique, efficiency. And so we're constantly working to be efficient. And because that's the kind of people we are, when we look at this parable, our first thought should be, let's get a new farmer. Because this is the most inefficient practice of farming ever. Find the good soil first, A, B, buy the seed, and then go plant it in the good soil. Jesus says, here's the parable of the farmer. A farmer sows seeds. Some falls on the path, some on shallow soil, some on rocky soil, some on good soil. It is such good news for us today that God is an inefficient farmer. For again, if we could pass the mic around today, some of you could testify about the years that you sat in a pew and nothing ever came in. Or people tried to love you and extend grace to you and you were nothing but angry in return. But one day the word of God broke in. If we could testify today, we could talk so many of us about the roller coaster ride of our life with God. The good news of this parable is God never looks at us and says, I'm done writing this with you. Get it together or get out. Some of us are so busy and crowded and it's choking out the very life of who we are and who God wants us to be. And God never says, listen, I'll have time for you when you have time for me, okay? The parable can be a word of judgment about how we might miss out on all the beauty of what God wants to do in the redemption of the world. But I think more than that, the parable is a promise that what God is planting and has planted, as we are patient with it, will grow into fulfillment, and then a transformation will come that will blow our minds away.
and make all things new. And the great news is we have such an uncalculating farmer who just continues to plant seed. Hoping, waiting, more than that, working in us until we become the good soil that can receive and respond to the goodness and beauty and new creation of Christ. Lord, help us today. We thank you today that you, unlike us, are not bent on efficiency. It's not that that's always a bad thing, but we're so grateful that you do not treat us in those kinds of ways. We thank you today that you are an inefficient farmer, constantly planting the seed, constantly giving us grace, constantly extending your love. I pray for some today for whom it, life has been so hard and there have been so many forces that have compacted and compressed that it would take a miracle for your seed to break in and for the evil one to quit taking it away. That you are a God who can make all things new, including the receptivity of our hearts. And so help us. May we, we may have the patience to continue to love those who so resist. Have mercy on us for the ways that we sprout up. We are so good in the beginning and so hard for us to endure till the end. And so give us your spirit today. May we lean into your strength, especially in these days that can be so discouraging. Have mercy on us for our crowded lives. Um, we have a serious case, a serious case of fear of missing out. And so we load our lives with so many things that can choke out what you want to do in us. And so give us wisdom. Make us good soil. And may we be shaped by a hope that all things in your grace and time will be made new. We won't just stop having bad years, <laughs> but we will have years in which all things are overturned, in which peace reigns, in which healing comes, in which transformation takes place, in which new creation spills out, fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. May it be true as you move in us. Make us your vessel today. And to you be the glory for great things you have done, great things you are doing, and great things you will do. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together.